You're listening to the MC Vocal Fry Podcast, your weekly dash of voice science, pedagogy, and pop culture. Coming to you from the campus of Mississippi College in Clinton, Mississippi. So I'm very excited mm-hmm. that we have just this week come across two more applicants for the master's program. Really? So we have we have currently, as a department, more graduate applicants than we've ever had in a year. Really? And the most we've ever had in voice. Hmm. So I don't want to share those exact numbers in the podcast. But there's a number of people. But there are, are a number of people. That's um, fantastic. It is. Um, we're also going to work it out that next year... Because we can bump Sarah uh, uh, and I hope Leah as well up in their in their GTA levels, that they will actually get to teach next year. Hmm. That would have been a lovely opportunity. Yes. Well, that my, is okay. my apologies that we're working out these kinks as we go. That's okay. There are kinks that are being worked out that that are worked out kinks. Anyway, it is what it is. Well, we hit almost 1,150 downloads this week. Thanks, Nancy Mariah Bolliff. Her episode has performed remarkably well. That's because the LMR people are amazing, and she's magic, and her audience is exactly the audience we want. Yeah. So. Uh, in fact, I have one graduate student applied for next year who I think her two top schools are us and Ole Miss, because and she's like also a dual communications major, so like, hmm. you know, of course she would be into the LMR stuff as well. So, you know. I think somewhere down the road, I don't know what this looks like specifically, but um, I don't know if it would necessarily, I don't even think it has to be just a Mississippi College thing, but there would it would be really cool down the road to um, create something to the effect of the uh, Mississippi, what, what, what could we call it? The Mississippi Media Network, or we need another M, Mississippi Media yeah, Network. Yeah. Yeah, because all of a sudden it's just the mmm. <laughs> right, but the idea being that they mm. kind of like a, I mean, kind of like how a TV network has a number of different shows, uh, or even like you have ESPN, you have ESPN two, you have ESPN twenty four, you have ESPN five hundred and seventy six, you have the Ocho, it's you the, have the you ESPN have the Classic, you have, I mean, forever, and, but but it's all under the ESPN. It's Talk like, about a brand that over. Oversold, overextended, overextended itself. Man, oh my gosh! My parents have told me about the early days of ESPN, where they're just, where they're like, just desperate (laughs) for something. There were, there were. When I used to get home from school as a child, it was the early days of ESPN, and there was this like game show that they would air around, I don't know, four o'clock in the afternoon. Sort of like what became like almost the PTI time slot years later, and they 
They would, like, answer sports questions, and then they would try to hit a softball over this, like, fake green monster. It was so <laughs> strange. It was such a strange time. Oh, uh, anyway. But I was just, I was inspired, um, by the, uh, so there's a, there's a, uh, a church and worship band that I really like that many of you are, may or may not be familiar with um, called Jesus Culture. And they have put out, uh, they originally had one podcast that... They have a podcast? They have actually a podcast network now. Jesus Culture has a podcast network. Yes. So originally... How does one start a podcast network? Well, this is what, I'm, this is what I want to talk about because podcast network is very interesting. It starts off, um, they started... Ju- they just really felt like they wanted to raise up leaders, so they started the Jesus Culture um, Leadership Podcast. And so it was a podcast specifically designed like, here's how to be a good leader. Here's like, you know, pastors and worship leaders, these people listening to be like, here's how to not be a jerk and hurt everyone around you as you try to lead them, you know? Okay. This kind of thing. Um, here's how to live with integrity because those who teach will be judged to a higher standard. This kind of thing. And okay. so then... It just kind of grew, and it kind of went. They kind of went like things. Small segments in the podcast started to grow and take on their own life, and so it was like they just unless you wanted to listen to a three-hour-long podcast, which I don't know who wants to do. There are some people that would want to do that, but mostly people don't want to listen to three-hour-long podcasts. That's a long podcast. And so instead, they said, "Well, why don't we just jettison some of these and make them their own podcast?" So they have. Now, the Jesus Culture podcast, which is more general, really they're just interviewing people that they know that are cool, you know, like different church leaders and musicians and stuff, and they're like, or like, they just did an interview with the guy who started Charity Water, um, like this kind of thing, and then they, they take those interviews, and then they do it, he and, Benning Liebscher and his wife do it like a radio show. So they're talking, and then they're like, hey, listen to this interview that we did last, that I, that Banning did last week with charity with the Charity Water guy. And then they talk about it for a minute, and then click. They play the 15-minute interview. Then they come back, and they say, hey, wasn't that great? This is what I really thought about this guy, and he was really awesome. And, hmm. and then they, and so they do that, and then, then separately from that, they have the Jesus Culture Leadership Pocket, which they've really focused in on just leadership stuff. They've, like, they focused that one in um, and and allowed that one to really be just that, and then separately they have. I mean, they they're also doing their the Jesus Culture because uh, they have they've launched a church out in Sacramento, so now they have a uh, they have you know their sermon of the week is is, is oh, out sure, there, sure, and sure, then they sure, have sure, something. Sure, yeah. So, but they've launched things, so now they have three or four different podcasts out there, all under the same umbrella. And so, in a broader sense, I think it would be cool um, to, and again, this is why I'm saying like I we are very much still in the infant phases of this podcast. Yes. Like the one-year-old. Still an infant, but maybe starting to eat solid food. we can cry. We can cry. Yes, (laughs) exactly. (laughs) We can cry when we know we're upset. Exactly. (laughs) That's a terrible thing to say about a podcast. (laughs) Actually. We can laugh. We do laugh. With that. Anyways. Yes. um, And, And if you put your hands in front of your face for us... We may laugh and think you disappeared. <laughs> <laughs> no, we're past that phase, I think. Uh, maybe. Object may- permanence, maybe. I don't know. Anyway, <laughs> a weird thing, I actually I actually had another person try to to try to get us to hire them to market our podcast today. Really? This is the second person in the last 2 weeks who's 
emailed me about wanting to, like, basically us to pay them to market our podcast. That might be something to look at in year three. (laughs) That seems right. But right now we're in the infancy stage, so I don't know how this will grow, but I think something like the Mississippi Media Mashup, some kind of umbrella network that would all be unified branding but have essentially different channels. Yeah, that seems right. You know. By the way, if our sound sounds different today, Michael and I are actually... My, Sarah was going to be with us, but she actually just had to go pick a friend up from the emergency room who we're hoping is okay. Secondly, we're actually recording this episode at my house on my back porch Screaming outside. Porch. So if there's a dog barking in the distance or you think you hear a dog barking in the distance... If you hear a child yelling from far away... You're actually hearing a dog barking and a child yelling from far away. But not because we kidnapped any children hidden far away. No, that's not a thing. That's no. that's not a thing. Anyway, so we're just sitting on my back porch right now because last week was spring break. Uh-huh. And it gave both Michael and I time to memorize. Oh, yes. Oh, Re- yes. The recital's coming along. Yes, it's coming along. Michael, you haven't talked about your recital on the podcast. Why don't you tell everybody what you're doing on your recital? I just pulled a peanut butter cracker in my mouth. Oh, have, wait, have we already covered this on the podcast? I don't think we have, have we? I think I've briefly said that I'm having a recital and that Finzi's on it. Okay, well, uh, while he's finishing chewing, I'm, I'm probably 80% memorized on Turandot, so... Considering that I started learning the role about a few weeks ago, there are more words in this show than Turandot and La Chate Me, although and Vincero. Those are all the words you need to know. Those are all practically all the words that Kalif sings. But my role—that's another story. We Pong says every word. says all every word in the Italian Chinese Italian language. Practically. Uh, yeah, he says lots of words. It's lots of words. Anyway, but we're getting close. So tell him what's on your recital. Okay. So recital opener. I mean, probably we'll hit. We'll, we'll hit. We'll switch hit. Out. We'll switch hit. Naria in there yeah, somewhere. Something. Something. Aria. Vibrato. <laughs> and so <laughs> there's vibrato in my recital, and then there'll be um, then there'll be some sweet Duparc songs. Uh, I'm going to do. Uh, La Votation, Au Voyage, and uh, that was real sweet. Uh, and then we're doing Extase, and we're doing uh, Fidile. Fact from Warren Jones, who you heard a couple weeks ago on the podcast, all the breath marks in the score <laughs> were put in by the editor, and according to Warren Jones, should just be ignored. Well, his <laughs> point was was a- a- adequate and, and accurate. Mm-hmm. Um in that Dupark is very reminiscent of Wagner. Mm-hmm. And it's the closest thing that any of us that are mere mortal lyric-esque tenors ever get to sing to singing Wagner. Uh, I mean, well, I mean, you know, okay, yes, you Wagnerites, okay, Steuermann, yes, David. Okay, yes, okay, we get it. We get it that there are, in fact, a couple of small parts in Wagner for lyric tenors. But, but we will not be Tristan. Anytime, well, I will not. Neither of us will be singing Tristan, ever, uh, and so anyway. But 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 two parks a nice opportunity. And so for that. and so it's just the and so there's what what was four or five phrases is now one phrase. Yeah, so we're getting there, which is exciting and like a whole different song. And so which is an interesting thing. Speaking of which, because we haven't talked about this in the podcast, if you listeners have never 
listened to the heroic Arias CD of Mario Delmonico and the historical recordings. I think it's actually called historical recordings of Mario Delmonico and listened to the Esultate on that disc. He sings basically the entire Esultate in one breath. And Michael knows the exact recording I'm talking about. He just doesn't I, breathe. And and uh, Domingo breathes three times to sing what Delmonico sings in a breath. Uh, One of these voices is more efficient than the other voice. Well, also Delmonico is a freak. It's really quite remarkable. It, it's, it's equally remarkable that it's a live recording. Yes, yeah. And it's even more remarkable that if you know the role of Otello by Verdi... You know that the Esultate is his entrance. Mm-hmm. That he had not sung anything previously on the stage that night. It's very exciting. Anyway, okay, so you're doing some Dupark. What else are you doing? doing? Uh, some Tarina songs. Uh, those Tarina songs, whose title <laughs> is long in Spanish, and I never remember because it's not really a cycle, it's just a bunch of songs. So, the ones that start out with dedicatoria. One of, yes, those. With the piano solo. Yes. It has the word poema in the title, like all the other ones. Anyways. We'll take an intermission. Yes, we'll take an intermission, and then we'll come back, and the whole second half is what I'm really excited about. Uh, I'm excited about those, about the Duparc and the Torino. Those are going to be great. As, a, as I have gotten to know those more, I've discovered that they're actually... The Duparc songs obviously are very musical, but the Torino songs are a lot less fluffy than I thought they were and are actually so rich. Mm. So nice. Anyways, so, but I'm, what I'm very excited about is to be able to do uh, A Young Man's Exhortation uh, by Mr. Gerald Finzi, and that will be really fantastic. So we'll come on, do the first half, then get off the stage, then breathe, turn into an old man or a tree or... Whatever your interpretation of these strange songs are. And Michael and I have um, slightly different interpretations of the poetry. It's an old man who is a tree now. <laughs> I just think he's an old man. Michael thinks he's a tree. Pretty sure he's a tree now. Pretty and sure he's not a tree. A ghost, but a tree. A metaphorical tree. Me- then metaphor- he comes back on sing the second half of the sing the second half of the the Finzi and uh, that'll probably be it. It'll be wonderful. Yeah. Recital hearings in what? Two weeks? Two weeks. Great. Two weeks. Great. We're yes. excited. Yes. We're excited. I'm so thankful. I've been working on some of these songs for like two years. It means w- almost all of them are memorized. I was uh, I was hoping to have another meeting with our research director uh, from the Med Center about our, our research project over the break. And then I had asked him when he was available. He thought he had replied to an email. He actually hadn't. And so we didn't get together. Uh, so hopefully yeah. sometime. Uh, we're going to try to do a phone call. Uh, and see if we can get these last issues straightened out with our long lost research study. Remember, remember back in the days. Remember when this was a research. N- remember podcast? back in the beginning of season one when this was just a research catalog of our uh, talk. Don't worry, guys. This is how all great sitcoms begin. All great sitcoms begin with a premise that is immediately forgotten. Let's not forget that the Seinfeld Chronicles was a thing. It was called the Seinfeld Chronicles. Okay, for you podcast listeners, and apparently Michael, what? Seinfeld started as a show called the Seinfeld Chronicles. About what? It wasn't called Seinfeld until season two. 
when the cast was slightly reworked. That's right. They got rid of some people. And added some people. Yeah. And Michael Richards became Kramer. And... Yeah. How weird. Yeah. Hmm. So anyway, so literally this is how sitcoms work. Well, I was even thinking about how like community starts off because they're a study group. About halfway through the first, honestly, by episode three. Is it a study group? Ah, we don't know. They're just sitting around a table and Chevy Chase is saying racist things. And so... His character. His character was saying racist things. You know, these, th- th- this is how this show, these things go. You know, Futurama was about a, a shipping company. Like a, like a, like a futuristic um, FedEx... Does anybody remember that? No. You don't find out until about halfway through the show. They go, literally like halfway through the show, they go, do you all remember when we had jobs? It was sort of like the Fresh Prince when they switched out Aunt Viv after the first two seasons. Oh, yeah. Except they did that after like two very successful seasons and then decided to change out a main character. Right. Well, I guess she was a supporting character. She's pretty important. She's pretty important, though, overall. I wonder who she upset. Well, the worst case example of that, you know, is, of course, Star Trek The Next Generation, where first season one, Dr. Beverly Crusher. Oh, yeah. And very tight spandex uniforms. Season two, still very tight spandex uniforms, but Riker gets a new beard, and we have Dr. Pulaski in place of Dr. Crusher, even though Dr. Crusher's (sighs) son is still on the Enterprise for no reason, even though she... Because his mom's gone. And then in season three... Fans demanded that his mom come back, and Dr. Crusher is back. Dr. Pulaski out with no explanation. And there you have it. Ah, TV. That was the definition of 80s TV right there. Honestly, and so, honestly, makes me, you know, as we've been talking about, um, have we talked about Star Wars time travel yet on here? We did last time. Okay, we did. You, That's you right. I listened, I listened to that. Yes. Um, which, those, speaking of which, we sort of need to get to with the Avengers trailer yes, we reveal. Will, we will get there. Okay. But I wanted to say, thinking about, because I, I went back and I did, now that I remember, I went back and listened to the podcast and commented a whole bunch of stuff in the middle of the night listening to the yes, podcast. Yes, it was very strange. Anyway. So, uh, if you want to read that, it's on the Facebook page. It's so on the Facebook feed. Great to li- Great to read. Um, pictures of dogs wearing tinfoil hats. You know, great stuff. Um, Who doesn't love a good dog in a tinfoil hat? Uh, you know, he's a good boy. Um, what was I going to say? Um, oh, uh, the increasing demand for absolute airtight canonicity. Um, okay, well, now listen. I'm a big fan, I have to tell you, as you know. I know. I'm a huge of fan absolute airtight of canonicity. absolute airtight canonicity. I, I just want to... A la, you know, the best of Doctor Who. Well, I was going to say... Or Lost. I was... Okay. Which had its own problems with canonicity. Well, Lost is an interesting example because uh, Lost is kind of, I think, when I think of, like, the first of a new era of TV. Yes, Lost is it. Because Lost, kind of from the get-go, knew what they were going to do, sort of. You know, like, you know, like they... They technically didn't know what they were going to do until season three. But, you know, they, like, like, they knew that they had some kind of end goal coming out. They knew that it had to go somewhere. They just didn't know when. That was the problem. Right. They didn't know how many seasons ABC right. wanted them to and do. And so, 
the difference is Doctor Who, something like Doctor Who, I'd say Doctor Who is a great example of a show that made the transition well because it's just been on for so long. Okay, early Doctor Who. <laughs> no, well, okay, when canon. he says when he says early Doctor Who, I think he means 1960s. Doctor I mean Who. 1960s Doctor yeah, Who. Yeah, okay, just for where our listeners, a, where for an, our listeners who think that Doctor Who started in 2005, it did not. It did not. But it Doctor Who literally in the 60s was about an old man and his granddaughter and his granddaughter going back to see dinosaurs basically basically and then see space aliens that that kind of thing and so it's like and as the show grew they said huh he should probably be an alien and you know if we pulled this funny regeneration trick we could just keep putting new which actors which they only in. did because William Hartnell got sick right originally it was just going to be one and done with him and then that was going to be the show and so but what they've done is they've been well I'll say this you kind of have a lot of room to work with at the beginning because the world's wide open. And then and then they were careful not to write themselves into any corners. And then as time has gone on, especially with this news, with the, with the reboot of Doctor Who starting in 2005, they've been pretty careful. I'd say very careful to like... They've been extremely careful. Like to navigate all the old material and the new material just to kind of like... So that it has they usually thing. They usually end up... If there's something that has changed... They or just do a they, time reset. They, it's like they need to write it in. Right. They somehow write it in. Right. And why so, something is different. Which I, which I want to say is a new, in in the TV world, is a new concept. Because even as early as, even as late as Seinfeld, you know, you just have characters vanishing, you know? Well, or Next or, Generation, or, you have characters or, vanishing. Or, and, or Star Trek The Next Generation, where the Klingons all of a sudden look completely different. Than they did in the original series, right? You know, which I'm fine with a redesign of a character, but if they look totally different, you're like, what the heck, you know? And so, we we demand, right. and it's it's inter- it's nice to see things grow. So it's like there's a much higher standard now. Well, because you know? universes were not a thing, right? Now we have TV universes, and even even which though- which is almost honestly more. Yes, Lost was its own universe. I mean, the Lost verse thing was a thing. But Marvel's taken that to a different level. I almost question, is it... Too far? Well, I think it is too far, personally. Because it, it, it removes the ability of the creator to be free. Um, unless they start a whole new thing, which is fine. But it's, it's just not how art has been for a long time. I think these things, though... And I can actually, because this is a singing podcast, relate this back to voice teaching. Mm-hmm. I think these things go in cycles. Yeah. Because, like, if we look at, at like, romantic literature, uh huh, you know, and you go back and look at some great romantic literature, mm-hmm. there's examples of this in literature going back a couple hundred years of, of these, you know, I mean, look at, look at, look at the, the well, give a good pop culture literature uh-huh. example. Look at the universe that Tolkien created. Right. Uh-huh. I mean, could there be a more encompassing right. universe? universe? By the way, Peter Jackson did not create Lord of the Rings. In case any of you were wondering. I don't think anybody thinks that. Okay, all right. If anybody did think that. That's unfortunate. That's unfortunate. Anyway, but, you know, so th- th- I, I right. think these things go in cycles and, 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 and things come in, even like this, come in and out of fashion. Uh, and uh, we are clearly in a extreme extreme mode right now. And, and here's how I wanted to relate it to singing. We can keep on this conversation, but 
even in singing, uh, like you know, you know, the pedagogy world in the 1950s, all of a sudden, for the first time, had access to science. Uh huh. And it went very sciency pretty quick. And I'm thinking right now, Venard uh-huh. Coffin. Okay. Ransom notes. Ransom note font, which if you've not read um, the the Venard and mechanism and technique, or if you've not read Coffin, any of them, overtones, whatever, just look at them and and realize you're reading historical documents. Not that there aren't some great exercises and great thoughts in there, but they're not current. The, the science is not current, but also just look at the wonderful font typeset. Don't read them on an if you some ever kind want to if edition. you ever want to see your daughter again, give us ten thousand dollars. It looks like that kind of ransom note font. I, that's how what a I refer flat to with dynamics and facade. I, I refer to it as ransom note font a lot. Anyway, but but you know, and and then as we sort of got more into even people who I think people thought were more sciency, um, and I, I guess I'm really thinking Richard Miller Dosher, that sort of era. I think there's a certain just sort of. Um, more functional approach, more whatever, because it's interesting of the 1950s sort of era, you know, Cornelius Reed was sort of rejected because he was sort of thinking more traditional Italian bel canto and function, both functional listening and singing, and I think he was, that's one of the reasons he was sort of maybe, I don't know, I think there were... But people kind of like him today. Well, yes, Reed has definitely made a comeback in pedagogic circles, judging by the online forums alone. Everyone talks about him. Um, When I was in grad school, where I went to grad school, his name was sort of a persona non grata. I mean, you just, you know, you couldn't admit that you ever even read Cornelius Reed. Now I sort of wish that back then I had read all of them. Anyway, I, I just think, I think, you know, we go back and forth in cycles from, you know, sciency, sciency, sciency to, to sort of holistic, 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 mm-hmm. or, you know, traditional, traditional, yeah. traditional. And, and I think, it, it, you know, entertainment things work the same way. And I, and yeah, you're right. We are in a very, we are probably at the peak, I think, with the release of Infinity War, we have gone as far as we can go with canonization. And part of well, and part of my thought is this: is that we, I think that it's what the unique element because this has happened in cycles. The unique element is the internet, because what I well s- certainly the new element is the internet. Right, that's what I'm saying. That that all of a sudden we have the internet. And we have these people on the okay because who I, are looking up everything ever. Looking up everything ever, and feel it's beautiful that people feel like they have a personal interest in something. Yeah, like a, ownership. Like an yeah. owner. It, mm-hmm. th- that's it. The uh, the idea of ownership. 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 And it's like, but and so suddenly you have stuff like we've talked extensively about with the Last Jedi. People have have their own thoughts about this thing, and they feel like they have a right to look at the creator of the work and say, "You did it wrong." Right. As opposed to saying, oh, we were wrong. And well, they, you and know? social media, right. in addition to the internet, right. has certainly exacerbated that. Right, and it pushes... The, I mean, before it was just maybe there were chat rooms, but then you had right. to go seek out those chat right. rooms. Right, as opposed to like... You know, as opposed Facebook to... Facebook is the internet. So like you log correct. into Facebook and correct. you have Michael on here going... 
The Last Jedi was the most important movie of 2017. And then you have a few loud, incorrect people oh gosh, saying, okay, all right. oh, you know what I'm saying, we're, this kind of thing. We're happy for you to have your opinion about The Last Jedi. But you, but it's the idea of like, Audrey. Blah! <laughs> These things. And so, <laughs> anyways, um, yeah, I guess I'm just concerned about that. Having said that, let's talk about the Avengers trailer because it was fantastic. Oh my gosh. Well, I, I will release our Avengers episode going back to, and I think it's important that we release that episode in the coming weeks before the movie comes out, obviously, or it makes no sense. But I think we will give the context that we recorded that episode immediately after the first trailer dropped. I think we should... Record a record the three of us sit together. A revision. Well, we should we should do a before and after. We should all listen to it together. So we should sit down. We should say, "Hey, oh, we're about to do. We're about to play you this podcast. That's Let's a good see idea. what we thought. Hit the button, and then afterwards that's a we'll good go, idea. Whoa! And I'll say, "What was I thinking? That Loki was going to be good. I've watched Thor Ragnarok since then. I know the truth, people." <laughs> and so... Yeah, that's a good idea. So one of my students today was just telling me at the end of their lesson that that they have not yet seen Ragnarok or Black Panther. And, and they haven't seen the best two Marvel movies. I, I mean, poten- potentially. I mean, because those Winter are... Winter Soldier. I mean, well, Guardians 2 is pretty great. Yeah. Um, uh, anyway, so yeah, so the, 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 the second, since we're in real time now, the second Infinity War trailer dropped last week incredible it was pretty epic incredible i have so many thoughts about it we'll start simple well let's yeah let's start simple with is this i don't know dr strange is being tortured okay here's my thought on that oh i read it was by the black order i don't know who that is it's one of i thought it was by one of thanos's children some the internet um, see, the internet said it was the Black Order. But see, here's my thought on that. Mm-hmm. Here's my guess. This is a guess, and I'll obviously I'm putting this out there, and since we run a podcast about things like this, you can go back and prove me wrong. And we welcome <coughs> comments to say, Perna, what an idiot you were. Um, my guess is that he is allowing himself to be tortured in a time loop in the mirror dimension to keep the Eye of Agamotto, otherwise known as the Time Stone, from Thanos. The green thing. The green thing that he holds around his neck. So that is my guess. That he has actually put himself in the mirror dimension with one of the children of Thanos in a time loop so that Thanos cannot get to them. Mm-hmm. Now that's a guess, obviously. I have absolutely nothing to go on on that. Hmm. But that is my thought. Definitely the the pointy things look like pieces of the, the mirror dimension, the shadow dimension. Yes. They look like that. So, Doctor Strange, tortured. Okay. Doctor um, Strange, Spider-Man. Funny. Hilarious. Funny. Love Spider-Man. Funny. I'd just like to say... I had a conversation with someone recently about Spider-Man, and they said, I don't like Tom Holland as Spider-Man. And I said, then you don't like Spider-Man, because in my opinion, Tom Holland plays 
closest to oh, the comic books. closest book to the comic books that we've anybody. seen. Oh, yeah, for sure. Now, I'll say the person... Spider-Man is not a dark comic book character. No, he's He's a kid. And a kid. He's sarcastic. He's... He's great. Yeah, it's... Now, now, the person who told me that was 16 and is trying to grow up too uh, fast. Okay. And so I can understand how a 16-year-old kid would prefer sure. a cool, older Spider-Man. Sure. But as an older person, young kid Spider-Man is great. Oh, yeah. Um, speaking of that, and I just this, this thought just came into my head. And I guess we'll, we could get to this later, but there's no point... Okay, so here's my big picture thought. Okay. I think they're clearly trying to set up for us this whole who's going to die thing. Clearly. I mean, because the trailer came out. The trailer was clearly about that. Right. I'm not so sure anymore that Steve or Tony dies. In this movie? Yes, in this movie. I don't think you can kill... Captain America and or Iron Man without them having their reunion. And I don't see room in this movie for that reunion. Possibly. I will say this. Because here's the thing. Clearly yeah. there's something... Okay, so... Prologue, Thor, Asgardians, Thanos... Throwing Thor into space, throwing Hulk to Earth, yeah. taking Tesseract. Right. Okay, prologue. We, we see him crush the Tesseract in the trailer. He has stone. Yeah. Stone one. Okay, great. Okay, prologue. Act one, New York. Hulk, Strange calls Tony. Tony comes. Spider-Man's on the bus. Spider-Man's on a bus. Sees the thing open. Big circle thing in New York. Spider-Man attacks... Spider-Man's captured. Tony and Strange have to follow. And rescue the Spider-Man. My assumption is at this point that Tony already has the bleeding edge armor. Bleeding edge armor. The Wakanda armor. The, the, the nanotech. Yeah. That's my assumption. Yeah. So that we're assuming that, that Stark and Shuri's meeting has already happened. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, probably they'll have met. In they'll have already, already. met. Some they'll time have, has passed. Right. Some time has passed since what? They've already since T'Challa went to the United Nations. They've already done some incorporating. I always think of that braided Jewish bread whenever anyone says T'Challa. Oh, you mean Hala? Yeah, because it's written C H A L L A. Yeah. Okay. Anyways, that is interesting. Actually, they're very suspicious. Anyway, um, he had some. And Chala. so and so, there's a clearly a grouping of. Hulk, Tony, Strange. Mm-hmm. Now, Hulk is an interesting caveat to this. At no point in the trailer... Okay, so I'm going in order. Then, clearly, Act 2, Wakanda. Mm-hmm. Where there's this huge invasion force. Mm-hmm. Whatever. Somehow, Hulk gets to Wakanda. And that's a point I'm not quite sure on yet, is how Ruffalo gets to Wakanda. I think they might go to Wakanda. With Tony and Strange? Yeah, I do. Because my guess is that Tony and Strange would have gone straight after the ship that, that captures Spider-Man. I think, I'm making a huge I think leap there Spider- in that assumption. I'm not sure that they capture Spider-Man. Regardless, I think Thanos goes from New York 
to Wakanda. Because we know that eventually he goes to Wakanda. So you're thinking that Tony actually does make it to Wakanda. I think he see, does. See, here's the thing. We never see Tony in Wakanda. Right. In the trailer. We see Tony in New York. We see Tony on Thanos' planet. There is not a point, hmm. nor do we see Strange in Wakanda, then it's nor do we see Spider-Man oh, in Wakanda. Then it's possible that they just get Doctor Strange to open a fancy magic circle right. to go to Thanos' planet, right. and then they get taken out for the rest of the movie. Correct. And then the next movie now is about you're them on rescuing it. them from Thanos now and you're defeating on it. Thanos. That's possible. I just don't know that, they, that he's captured Spider-Man. I mean, we know that Spider-Man has to be in some okay, kind of maybe trouble he because hasn't. he has to because he has to have dad issues. Right. For for um, there have to be Tony and and if any and, of you have actual dad issues, I'm sorry if that was insensitive, but Spider-Man has to have some father issues in order to have, um, in order for Tony Stark to. There's a father. His there's a mentor mentee father thing, son father kind of thing, thing going yeah. on there. And so. I just don't see. Assuming Wakanda's the big finale. I think Thanos... See, my other thought was this, was that maybe I think Thanos comes and wrecks Wakanda. And then goes home. Wrecks Wakanda, goes home. Gets the Soul Stone. Yeah. We're still making the assumption that the Soul Stone is in Wakanda. Has to be. There's no as of this point, we have no Infinity Stone. And so, in at some point, at when? See, here's another thing we don't know timeline wise. Where does he attack Vision? Where is this attack? Is it just one of the children of Thanos <coughs> that's attacking Vision? That is, uh, you know, okay, great. And so, does that happen in New York? Are they actually in New York <coughs> on the run, hiding out? He and Wanda, and. I think maybe they all flee to... Here's my thought. Maybe they all flee to Wakanda. Well, see, that makes sense from the standpoint of, like... Okay, so Wanda and Vision, if they're in New York, that also maybe is then how Hulk gets to... You know, somehow Banner's got to get there. Because clearly, in the Hulkbuster scenes in Wakanda, Banner's in the Hulkbuster. Right. So I think that... It's not Tony. Right. No way is that Tony. I think that... They all, my thought is maybe they all flee to Wakanda, and then it's kind of a Battle of Helm's Deep kind of idea. Well, that that's probably right. It, it, but it's like, it's like, I think he just wrecks Wakanda, takes the Soul Stone, and then leaves. And I think that there's some aftermath stuff that happens, and then... Because one of the other theories is that the internet sort of blew up because apparently, in fact, one of our listeners told me this today that there the internet was blowing up today because apparently Steve Rogers eyes are yellow in the scene or green in the scene where Thanos punches him as if he is maybe taken control the. of the soul stone really it was a it was a thing that hit the internet today really yeah it the internet was blowing up about it here on on Monday I I I I, I, it's not something I had come across. It had I've not, not come across that. It, 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 it's an interesting theory. I'm just getting body statistics for Chris Evans. This is not what I wanted. It's kinda... I also have this weird thing about whether or not... Are you sure that's not just the shininess of the Infinity Gauntlet? I mean, it could be, yes. Okay, now, 
Infinity Gauntlet for our listeners who maybe are not quite as Marvel centric. Marvel has released a chart. A chart. About the Infinity Stones. And one of the things that we understand from the comics is that the gauntlet requires the stones to be in a specific order. So he has to get them in an order. And what's important to note is that while the space stone is first and the mind stone is second, the or the in what Thanos has in the trailer, the actual first stone, which goes on his thumb, is the power stone, which From... is held by the Nova Corps on... Uh, uh, is it still with that Xandar. collector guy? No. It's not with the collector anymore. No, the collector doesn't have it. Right. Remember, it ended up on Xandar with the Nova Corps. Right. Nova Prime put it in their vault. Right. So the Power Stone, which... And here's the thing. So in other words, as I understand the gauntlet, and I'm pointing in my hand right now, listeners, what we see in the trailer are his index finger and his middle finger. But what I understand is, for the power of the gauntlet to work without the thumb in place, Doesn't even work. if the other four stones are in place, he's just still Thanos. Yeah. Scary, but not... Scary! Infinity Gauntlet Thanos. Big bad, but not able to destroy the universe. Could do some seriously bad things with Infinity Stones, but he can't run the gauntlet, yeah. as I understand it, without the Power Stone. Now, does that mean that there is an entire third act that is in Xandar, that they've just not shown us? Very possible. That's a, that's a possibility. It could be the next movie. It, it's probably the next movie goes to Xandar. I think that's definitely an act in... First in, act of the next movie. It, uh, yes, correct. That's my guess. But this movie... I'm also <clears throat> unclear in my mind on where the ether is. Remind me what the ether is. And remind the normal people. Okay, so the ether <clears throat> was from Thor to the Dark World. Oh, gosh. that And that is an Infinity Stone. Yeah. Um, if I'm correct, it is called the Reality Stone. That sounds right. My question is, where is it? Because I don't remember. Because I thought it was in Asgard, but the only thing that Loki took out of Asgard <clears throat> was the Space Stone. The yeah. te- or or what, what we know in the movies as the Tesseract. Yes. Which, the blue thing. The blue thing, which Thanos breaks apart, and that's where he gets the first stone. That's the space stone. Controls space. Doctor Strange is wearing the time stone. The power stone is with the Nova Corps. We're assuming that the soul... Well, the mind stone is on Vision's forehead. The yellow thing. And then... Oh, maybe the ether's not an infinity stone. The ether. So, so I've interneted. Interneted. The ether is an infinity stone, and um, it is the reality stone. It's the red thing. Yes, it's the red one, <clears throat> and uh, it is in the collector's <clears throat> museum, and it is the reality stone. The reality stone. It is with the collector apparently. That is still with the collect. That's the not the one that the Nova Corps came about though. No, that's the power stone. Yeah. So it's power space. 
power space, reality, mind. time, mind, and mind, which is of course on vision. Right. Which has to mean that the two that we see Thanos with are the space stone and the mind stone. He must rip it out of vision. Because we never see the Eye of Agamotto no. in the gauntlet. No. Mm, I have no idea. Well, so there's a little education in Infinity Stones for you. This is uh, this is almost... Singers who listen to the podcast who haven't been into Marvel movies? This is almost like um, when we started talking about Jedi battle uh, lightsaber <laughs> style fighting styles. Yeah, this is pretty nerdy stuff. Unfortunately, Marvel has made this super nerdy stuff... Normal. Well, extremely important Necessary. if you want to understand the Infinity War movie. The buy-in is very high for this movie. The buy-in is very high. Like, if you're fully into this movie, Black Panther, you could have watched... On its own. Basically having never seen a Marvel movie. Which, as we talked about on the podcast, was fantastic because there are lots of people who'd never seen a Marvel movie. Yes, and it was wonderful. And it served its audience well. Infinity War is not that. Infinity War is not that. Infinity War is, I think, the payoff of ten years. You get to make a movie with no context because you've been giving it for a decade. Because there's literally 20, what is it, 18, 22 movies or whatever it is? It's a lot of movies. it's, It's a lot of movies. Three Iron Man, three Thor, three Captain America, Ant Man, two Guardians, Strange, Black Panther. There's more. Ant Man. I said Ant Man. Spider Man. Sp- uh, Homecoming. Homecoming. Uh, uh, technically Incredible Hulk, even though there's their Ed one. Norton. There's their one. There's their one that canonization that Marvel would like us to forget. Ed Norton. Oh, the two Avengers movies. Two Avengers movies. That's 18. I think it's 18. It's a lot. It's almost 20 movies. It's almost 20 movies. Well, (laughs) these two movies, this next year, will be 20 movies. Yeah. Well, technically, Ant-Man and Wasp. Clearly, Ant-Man survives Infinity War because he's got another movie coming out Can we just for a moment talk about Ant-Man and the Wasp? (laughs) If you haven't seen the trailer for that movie, I'm sure it will be... I'm sure it will be very entertaining. I'm sure I don't think it has any plot. There's no plot in this movie. I mean, it's literally like the trailer. It's it's literally like just goofy crap. It is the closest thing that I've seen to an '80s trailer in quite some time. It was. It's. It's it's awesome. In fact, it might even have less purpose than the 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 reference you gave us a couple of weeks ago than Hot Tub Time. Oh my gosh. Fantastic. <laughs> Ant-Man and the Wasp is going to be great. And it's just a rem- it's and it's a nice reminder that uh well, honestly it's amazing that the Marvel people have created a universe where they can have a goofy movie. A goofy movie. That's just goofy. In the middle of this epic epic well, thing. Well, and here's the other thing with that, going back to Infinity War, if Steve dies in this movie. In this movie. If if Thanos literally kills Captain America. I don't think he will. I don't think he will because he still has one more movie on his contract. We know that they're both in the fourth movie. Now, this is the other thing where it, 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 I worry that they're going to get weird is because they needed Strange to be a part of this universe. 
And apparently one of my dear friends yesterday was telling me, I'll be honest, I'm a bad pop culture podcast host. I've not watched Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. the whole way through. And apparently this season they've been playing with time travel and playing with whether or not time travel is time travel or time travel is just another dimension. They're just traveling to an alternate universe. Correct. So, because obviously one of the things that's been very controversial about Avengers here is been that the scene where there was a set footage leaked, where everyone was in their Battle of New York attire. Right. What is that? From the first Avengers movie. Is it a flashback? I think it's the Tony Stark barf. Is the, it the, is it is it a is it the barf for it's the where he like goes back into his like teenage memories, which is the opening of Captain America: Civil War. For those of you yes. who have not seen Captain America: Civil Go War, go look it up. Just type in Tony Stark barf. It'll be and it'll it'll pop up. Um, it's basically this thing that projects his own memories into real life, into like a hologram. Yeah. So basically. it's possible that it's that. It's like a holodeck that's generated from your mind. So that you can deal with emotional memories. Yes. Which, of course, Tony Stark would name BARF. Yes. <laughs> and I don't remember what the acronym is, but... Bio... Augmented reality... Framing. Something. Yeah, because I think it was glasses. Yeah. Something. Uh, whatever. Anyway. It's not important. Um, well, it. the bottom line is, it was... It's super exciting... It's going to be a super exciting thing. It is the same weekend that Turandot opens, <coughs> which we need to talk about and planning our tickets. Yes. Because it's looking like Friday night I'm available. Mm-hmm. But if we're going Friday night, we're going to need to book those tickets this week. Yeah. So we need to talk with we'll Sarah about out. that and figure that out. We'll figure anyway. it out. Uh, yes. So, podcast audience, we're sorry. We we th- this has been our this is our this is our post spring break. Uh, we're back, but we're not back. Yeah. Um, I'm about to actually head back out of town. Um, not that I was out of town over break, but um, th- this weekend, uh, in fact, tomorrow night. If you're listening to this on Friday, tomorrow night, Dr. Mandy Spivak, Dr. Emily Yapchua, and yours truly, will be giving a joint uh, recital at Randolph College in Presser Hall. It's going to be great. I'm um, sure. It is a reprise of the program that we gave here in the fall, except instead of doing sort of Italian arias by German composers plus German art song, we're just doing Puccini. And, meaning, like, so we're doing a bunch of German leader and Puccini. <laughs> Makes sense. So um, that's our that's our program. It's a bunch of stuff from Bohem plus a bunch of Leader. It's a really great program. Um, thir- this Thursday, mm-hmm. I'll just tell our podcast audience, this Thursday I will be honored um, in just a few nights to give the keynote address at Randolph College's SciFest. If anyone knows what a keynote is, we sure don't. Yeah. Um, and that is Thursday night. It's called Your Voice. An Inside View. Can you see, can you hear, do you hear, no, your voice, do you hear what I see? Do you hear what I see? Uh, Which the simple answer is yes, you all hear what I see. A line, a line. The question is, can you 
can you can I get you to see it very quickly? Interestingly enough, what I'm gonna do, <laughs> what I'm gonna do is I'm actually gonna use um, five examples of elite singing. The second squiggly line on the thing. <laughs> I'm using five examples of elite, what I consider elite examples of singing, um, that might be interesting to people, um, and so we're gonna look at two different great tenors use very different resonance strategies on the Faust high C, Di Stefano, and then Corelli. Very different resonance <laughs> strategies. I actually have an interesting thought about the Di Stefano from a sort of psychoacoustics point of view, or just acoustics point of view. He keeps a very strongly radiated second harmonic. Right. Second harmonic right. on the high C. Yeah. And I think that's why he's able to do the diminuendo. Anyway, that's a, that's a conversation we can have another time, huh. but and then and then c- comparing that to Corelli, so uh, huh. which is obviously page three, <laughs> it's like straight on his third harmonic. Um, I mean, it's so evident too. Uh, so that, and then we'll look at Adita Gurubarova's leap from her high or low B flat to her high D in the Mozart concert aria. That's good. Um, Udite. And then uh, we'll look at a low Russian basso profundo s- uh, using a subharmonic on a low A flat below A flat. Subharmonic is his new favorite thing. <laughs> he sent us a video one day, this random YouTube guy who I think is a, not a, it's like a beatboxer. Yeah, he's a beatboxer. <clears throat> who, who has discovered subharmonics. And that's how he sings these super low notes. That it's, it's it's fascinating. Anyways, worth a look. Yeah, definitely. If you've not looked at subharmonics at all, that's worth looking at. Uh, so we'll look at a subharmonic, and then we're gonna look at uh, Eden Espinosa's super belt of the A from Brooklyn. Fantastic. Because the greatest of all. Because I mean, well, it's a female belting a high A. Yeah. <laughs> Which you know. I mean, and I mean if you can if you can belt an A six, I mean yeah. that's yeah, that's sort of a thing. Yeah, and you know like, yeah, six five a, a fast yeah A five five A five A six is a is sorry no A five I said that wrong. A quick note on that: it's so interesting. I remember when uh, we had Lee Usselton. Uh huh. Uh huh. I just this this can even be my takeaway, but the idea that like, that's a good idea. She separated. So this is my takeaway. Uh, Lee Usselton shared about people doing this super belt or just belting high um, belting in general that she would talk about people often talk about belting as function like we can talk about belting as function or belting as a sound right like a sure and so and she was like well we in one sense what the chords are doing in one sense looking at more what the resonator is doing right 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 right. or just what people are hearing sure and so and she was kind of like well people are always trying to you kind of have to teach it as as function, as this is what the chords are doing. But at the end of the day, the audition person isn't sitting there, and the listener isn't sitting there going, oh, her chords are doing this. They're just listening for, like, a high, intense, rich sound that's, you know, that sounds like belting. And doesn't sound <clears throat> annoying. It doesn't sound annoying. Or it sounds like the good annoying, you know? And so belting kind of sounds like the good annoying to me. I'm the good annoying guys, um, as you know, as you listen to this podcast. Um, but hmm. the the idea, but just I've just been thinking a lot about that, about like how you it doesn't matter 
what you're doing, it matters what people are hearing. And so that's my takeaway um, as a, for singing, not in your life. Well, <laughs> and I'll just follow up with that. And, and I think this is one of, been doc, one of uh, Dr. Howell's big things with psychoacoustics has been, and, and this has been a thing of my pedagogic landscape since the beginning, has been you got to hear it first. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. As a voice teacher, if you are not hearing yeah. the sound, mm-hmm. how can you get somebody to replicate that sound? Yes, it's why you, you know. I mean, I right? think that, I think that, I think, and, and and don't. I think it's easy to misconstrue this, but. <clears throat> Because there is, a, I, I think, a point of which you need to be able to sing to teach voice. Yeah. But you need to be able to hear. But if you can't hear, mm-hmm. that is paramount. And I'd argue that there are a lot of people who sing well who don't hear voices well. Yes. And... Not at a level that they could teach well. Yes. And I just think... Since we now are able to break down sound into such component parts, I think it's even more paramount, and I think that that needs to become so much more of our pedagogic landscape, mm-hmm. um, so that we can be teaching the next generation of teachers from that standpoint. Yes. Speaking yeah. of the next generation of teachers, I guess this will be my takeaway. And I don't I don't really have a point to this yet, so this might get rambly, and I'm going to try to keep it short. I'm thinking a lot recently about the word influence. Influence. This is a word that's very much in my wheelhouse right now. And... Michael actually brought up a good perspective with me last night of, of with the word of the question of as the word goes in your own life, are you being influenced or are you the one doing the influencing? Mm-hmm. And I think that the best teachers are the best students. Mm-hmm. And the more If you want to teach well, the more you can allow yourself to be influenced Mm -hmm. by your mentors, by authorities, by whatever. By good influences. By good influences. (coughs) While you are influencing others, and you could take this to a lot of different walks of life. And maybe it's just that I'm realizing I'm reaching a point in my life that I do have certain influences, even if it's just over my children. But I, I, I'm fascinated by this concept of influence. So what I would, I guess, encourage everyone to do is take advantage of opportunities you have to have good influence on yourself or over you. And also take advantage of the opportunities that you have to influence those in your care. Mm-hmm. That that would that that's my that's my takeaway for today. Yes. That sounds good. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Oh, darn it.
What? We forgot to ask Sarah what she had for breakfast. This would be two weeks in a row where we didn't report. I thought you said, oh, that's right, because hmm. there wasn't a podcast because we were gone. And I texted her in the middle of the last one, and she didn't get back to me. Hmm. Hmm. It is all right. <clears throat> well. I'm sure she ate food. For those, wait, wait, uno momento podcast audience, before we leave. Did she see she it? She has seen it. So what did she say? Ah, uh, Sarah, this morning for breakfast, had yummy, quote, quote, yummy homemade yeast rolls. She did not make these yeast rolls. Someone else did. Is the brand yummy? No, I think she was saying they tasted good. Okay. But it was in quotes. No, because someone made them. Oh, okay. They okay. were homemade. Oh, okay. She did not make them. Oh, okay. Interesting. They were not from her home, hmm. but someone made her yummy rolls. Very well. Very well. That's it. See you guys later. Bye. <laughs>